welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Hey everybody, it's your girl Wynn Ruffin, and I pray all is well with everyone, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for yourselves and everyone else all over the world. And indeed, we are here to be love and light to all creation. Therefore, no matter where we are in the world, be it near or far, no matter how race, religion, nationality, or status, and regardless of the darkness that seems to surround us, let us continually radiate the love and light of our mighty I Am Presence by being loving to ourselves and others. For the love and light of the living God is what we were created from. That love and light sustains us. And that love and light is mankind's victory over darkness where we learn to live and love with one another as the living God loves us. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and light and y'all be loved. Our knowledge of the religion of the ancient Persians is principally derived from the Zendavista, or sacred books of that people. Zoroaster was the founder of their religion, or rather the reformer of the religion which preceded him. The time when he lived is doubtful, but it is certain that his system became the dominant religion of Western Asia from the time of Cyrus, 550 BC, to the conquest of Persia by Alexander the Great. Under the Macedonian monarchy the doctrines of Zoroaster appeared to have been considerably corrupted by the introduction of foreign opinions, but they afterwards recovered their ascendancy. Zoroaster taught the existence of a supreme being, who created two other mighty beings, and imparted to them as much of his own nature as seemed good to him. Of these, Ormuzd, called by the Greek Zoramists, remained faithful to his creator, and was regarded as the source of all good, while Araman, Aramanes, rebelled and became the author of all evil upon the earth. Ormuz created man and supplied him with all the materials of happiness, but Araman marred this happiness by introducing evil into the world, and creating savage beasts and poisonous reptiles and plants. In consequence of this, evil and good are now mingled together in every part of the world, and the followers of good and evil, the adherents of Ormuz and Araman, carry on incessant war. But this state of things will not last forever. The time will come when the adherents of Ormuz shall everywhere be victorious and Araman and his followers be consigned to darkness forever. The religious rites of the ancient Persians were exceedingly simple. They used neither temples, altars, nor statues, and performed their sacrifices on the tops of mountains. They adored fire, light, and the sun as emblems of Ormuz, the source of all light and purity, but did not regard them as independent deities. The religious rites and ceremonies were regulated by the priests, who were called Magi. The learning of the Magi was connected with astrology and enchantment, in which they were so celebrated that their name was applied to all orders of magicians and enchanters. Wordsworth thus alludes to the worship of the Persians. 
The Persians, zealous to reject altar and image, and the inclusive walls and roofs of temples built by human hands, the loftiest heights ascending from their tops, with myrtle-wreathed tiara on his brows, presented sacrifice to moon and stars, and to the winds and mother elements, and the whole circle of the heavens, for him a sensitive existence and a god. The religion of Zoroaster continued to flourish even after the introduction of Christianity, and in the 3rd century was the dominant faith of the East, till the rise of the Mohammedan power and the conquest of Persia by the Arabs in the 7th century, who compelled the greater number of the Persians to renounce their ancient faith. Those who refused to abandon the religion of their ancestors fled to the deserts of Kerman and to Hindustan, where they still exist under the name of Parsis, a name derived from Paris, the ancient name of Persia. The Arabs call them Gebers, from an Arabic word signifying unbelievers. At Bombay the Parsis are at this day a very active, intelligent, and wealthy class. For purity of life, honesty, and conciliatory manners, they are favorably distinguished. They have numerous temples to fire, which they adore as the symbol of the divinity. The religion of the Hindus is professedly founded on the Vedas. To these books of their scripture, they attach the greatest sanctity, and state that Brahma himself composed them at the creation. But the present arrangement of the Vedas is attributed to the sage Vyasa, about 5,000 years ago. The Vedas undoubtedly teach the belief of one supreme God. The name of this deity is Brahma. His attributes are represented by the three personified powers of creation, preservation, and destruction, which under the respective names of Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva form the Trimurti or triad of principal Hindu gods. Of the inferior gods the most important are, 1. Indra, the god of heaven, of thunder, lightning, storm, and rain, 2. Agni, the god of fire, 3. Yama, the god of the infernal regions, 4. Surya, the god of the sun. Brahma is the creator of the universe, and the source from which all the individual deities have sprung, and into which all will ultimately be absorbed. As milk changes to curd and water to ice, so is Brahma variously transformed and diversified, without aid of exterior means of any sort. The human soul, according to the Vedas, is a portion of the supreme ruler, as a spark is of the fire. Vishnu occupies the second place in the triad of the Hindus and is the personification of the preserving principle. To protect the world in various epochs of danger, Vishnu descended to the earth in different incarnations, or bodily forms, which descents are called avatars. They are very numerous, but ten are more particularly specified. The first avatar was Asmatsya, the fish, under which form Vishnu preserved Manu, the ancestor of the human race, during a universal deluge. The second avatar was in the form of a tortoise, which form he assumed to support the earth when the gods were churning the sea for the beverage of immortality, Amrita. We may omit the other avatars, which were of the same general character, that is, interpositions to protect the right or to punish wrongdoers, and come to the ninth, which is the most celebrated of the avatars of Vishnu, in which he appeared in the human form of Krishna, an invincible warrior, who by his exploits relieved the earth from the tyrants who oppressed it. Buddha is by the followers of the Brahminical religion regarded as a delusive incarnation of Vishnu, assumed by him in order to induce the Asuras, opponents of the gods, to abandon the sacred ordinances of the Vedas, by which means they lost their strength and supremacy. Kalki is the name of the tenth avatar, in which Vishnu will appear at the end of the present age of the world to destroy all vice and wickedness, and to restore mankind to virtue and purity. Shiva is the third person of the Hindu triad. He is the personification of the destroying principle. 
Though the third name, he is, in respect to the number of his worshippers and the extension of his worship, before either of the others. In the Puranas, the scriptures of the modern Hindu religion, no allusion is made to the original power of this god as a destroyer, that power not being to be called into exercise till after the expiration of twelve millions of years, or when the universe will come to an end. And Mahadeva, another name for Shiva, is rather the representative of regeneration than of destruction. The worshippers of Vishnu and Shiva form two sects, each of which proclaims the superiority of its favorite deity, denying the claims of the other, and Brahma, the creator, having finished his work, seems to be regarded as no longer active, and has now only one temple in India, while Mahadeva and Vishnu have many. Bullfinch's Mythology, The Age of Fable, or Stories of Gods and Heroes, by Thomas Bullfinch, 1855. It is but natural that we should see in the appellation of Zoroaster not a name but a generic term, whose significance must be left to philologists to agree upon. Guru, in Sanskrit is a spiritual teacher, and as Zoroastara means in the same language he who worships the sun, why is it impossible, that by some natural change of language, due to the great number of different nations which were converted to the sun worship, the word Guruastara, the spiritual teacher of sun worship, so closely resembling the name of the founder of this religion, became gradually transformed in its primal form of Zoroastra or Zoroaster. The opinion of the Kabbalists is that there was but one Zarathustra and many Guruastars or spiritual teachers, and that one such Guru, or rather Huruaster, as he is called in the old manuscripts, was the instructor of Pythagoras. To philology and our readers, we leave the explanation for what it is worth. Personally, we believe in it, as we credit on this subject capitalistic tradition far more than the explanation of scientists, no two of whom have been able to agree up to the present year. Aristotle states that Zoroaster lived 6,000 years before Christ, Hermippus of Alexandria, who is said to have read the genuine books of the Zoroastrians, although Alexander the Great is accused of having destroyed them, shows Zoroaster as the pupil of Azonok, Azanak, or the Azan god, and as having lived 5,000 years before the fall of Troy. Ur or Eros, whose vision is related by Plato in the Republic, is declared by Clement to have been Zordust. While the Magus who dethroned Cambyses was a Mede, and Darius proclaims that he put down the Magian rites to establish those of Ormazd, Xanthus of Lydia declares Zoroaster to have been the chief of the Magi. Which of them is wrong? Or are they all right, and only the modern interpreters fail to explain the difference between the reformer and his apostles and followers? This blundering of our commentators reminds us of that of Suetonius, who mistook the Christians for one Christos, or Crestos, as he spells it, and assured his readers that Claudius banished him for the disturbance he made among the Jews. H. P. Blavatsky Finally, and to return again to the Nazars, Zeratus is mentioned by Pliny in the following words, he was Zoroaster and Nazareth. As Zoroaster is called Prinkeps of the Magi, and Nazar signifies separated or consecrated, is it not a Hebrew rendering of Mag? Volney believes so. The Persian word Nazaruin means millions of years and refers to the Chaldean ancient of days. Hence the name of the Nazars or Nazarenes, who were consecrated to the service of the Supreme One God, the Kabbalistic Ensof, or the Ancient of Days, 
the aged of the aged. But the word Nazar may also be found in India. In Hindustani Nazar is sight, internal or supernatural vision, Nazar Bandai means fascination, a mesmeric or magical spell, and Nazaran is the word for sightseeing or vision. Professor Wilder thinks that as the word Zarawana is nowhere to be found in the Avesta, but only in the later Parsi books, it came from the Magians, who composed the Persian sacred caste in the Sasan period but were originally Assyrians. Turan, of the poets, he says, I consider to be Aturia or Assyria, and that Zohak, Azdahaka, De Oaks, or Astyages, the Serpent King, was Assyrian, Median, and Babylonian, when those countries were united. This opinion does not, however, in the least implicate our statement that the secret doctrines of the Magi, of the pre-Vedic Buddhists, or the hierophants of the Egyptian Thoth, or Hermes, and of the adepts of whatever age and nationality, including the Chaldean Kabbalists and the Jewish Nazars, were identical from the beginning. When we use the term Buddhists, we do not mean to imply by it either the exoteric Buddhism instituted by the followers of Gautama Buddha, nor the modern Buddhistic religion, but the secret philosophy of Shakyamuni, which in its essence is certainly identical with the ancient wisdom religion of the sanctuary, the pre-Vedic Brahmanism. The schism of Zoroaster, as it is called, is a direct proof of it. For it was no schism, strictly speaking, but merely a partially public exposition of strictly monotheistic religious truths, hitherto taught only in the sanctuaries, and that he had learned from the Brahmins. H. P. Blavatsky The I Am Discourses, Volume 16 Beloved ones of our hearts, thank you for your love tonight. Thank you for your calls to the angelic host. I bear you the blessings and the love and the greetings from those who ever watch every opportunity to protect and expand that which is constructive, and to expand the light through all life everywhere possible, and as rapidly as possible. Tonight, in the cosmic power that is surging throughout the system for the purification of all, there comes naturally into action a very much greater release of power from the angelic host. So, in your acceptance of our presence, in your use of the power flame of the angelic host's love to life, you will find coming into your affairs and into your consciousness, just like a sun presence that releases wave after wave of light, by which you can see your way ahead very much more clearly, and thus avoid conditions that make your problems. Because as you charge yourselves with our cosmic light, or the light of our cosmic consciousness, it automatically brings into your outer consciousness our ideas, our faculties, our knowledge from the greater realms of perfection. And so we can give you, from time to time, as much as you can use to release greater perfection into your daily experience, and to make you more capable of handling greater responsibility. Now since you've decreed to be rid of your problems, you must be prepared to take greater responsibility. But it doesn't mean that your greater responsibility will bring more problems. What we want to do is free you from limitations so you will be more capable of rendering the service that needs to be given. So your joy should become very much greater as you realize your greater opportunities, and you feel the freedom of going into greater action without strain, or stress, or struggle. There is plenty of energy in the universe, my dear ones, which you may have freely as the air you breathe, but your capacity to use that must be guarded and governed, and everything that you draw forth held in perfect balance. In order to charge yourselves with greater power that you may have greater accomplishment, there must come greater light within you. Therefore, Whenever you call forth anything of greater manifestation, 
demand it be always sustained invincible against evil. Then whatever comes into existence in your world, your individual experience, becomes yours for permanent use. Then you do not have to constantly do things over and over and over again. Beloved Archangel Michael When we see some of the conditions from which mankind could so easily be free if people understood this law, if our hearts could ache, they would, when we have the power, the cosmic law is ready to give the help, and yet individuals do not awaken and reach up and use the power that would set them free. That is due largely to much confusion that is in the atmosphere of earth, and much discord and impurity in the energy of the feeling world. And so tonight, I'm going to offer you a secret which the angelic host use constantly, because it's the secret of their power, and it is the power that brings freedom. When you realize that within the power flame to which you have called, that you may have a sun presence of the power flame with any special quality you require, and that your mighty I am presence and we are ready to establish that in and around you as a part of your life stream for eternity, then you must realize, no earnest effort is ever lost. You may need to call for some time before you see the outer manifestation of the answer to your call. But that is because you must give one-third of the energy that produces the manifestation, because your presence gives one-third, and we give one-third. So that's the balance. So when you enter into the use of the power flame, remember to call forth the ascended master qualities and powers of life without any limit whatsoever. But always demand that in your use of these powers, whatever you produce is compelled to be invincible against all evil forever. Then everything you do is permanent accomplishment. Everything you do with that call becomes permanently harmonious. Then no force of evil can take it away from you. I'm giving you this tonight in order to protect the blessings you need to hold your supply sustained. Now you know, many of you have had supply for a time, and then you don't have it for a time. Of course, when you don't have it, then you get down into depression, so to speak. I want you to go forward with boundless supply, ever expanding, so you're capable of rendering greater service, and in the greater service you will experience greater happiness. So the gift we bring is eternal, and if you will call forth, and do your part in demanding that everything constructed be made invincible against all evil, the hordes of evil can no longer be permitted to desecrate what's in your world. And that's very important at this time. Applause. Thank you so much precious ones. Beloved Archangel Michael,